Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Lee Frame, Director of the Integrative Medicine Programs here at GW. Today, we're going to talk about cancer and nutrition with Dr. Emily Ho, Director of the Linus Pauling Institute and a professor in the College of Public Health and Human Sciences at Oregon State University. The Linus Pauling Institute is a world leader in the study of micronutrients, phytochemicals, and other dietary factors, and the role these compounds can play in promoting optimum health or preventing and treating disease. Major areas of research include approaches to combat aging, metabolic dysfunction, neurodegenerative disease, and today's topic, cancer. Dr. Ho's research focuses on understanding the mechanisms by which nutrient status and healthy foods affect the initiation and or progression of chronic diseases, such as cancer. Her work has also helped drive dietary requirements and recommendations for micronutrients, such as zinc, for communities with a susceptibility to poor nutrition. She has also helped redefine the health benefits of cruciferous vegetables, especially the anti-cancer role of compounds like sulforaphane. It's good to have you with us here. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, Emily. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We look forward to having you to uh, come on for a few episodes here. Looking forward to it. So that's a bit of a sneak peek for those of you out there. We will have a few more episodes with the Linus Pauling Institute, and this one will be our introductory one to get to get to know the Linus Pauling Institute and uh, its director, Emily. So let's start right with that. What is the Institute's mission and who is its namesake? So as the name suggests, the Linus Pauling Institute is named for Dr. Linus Pauling. Um, he's really regarded as one of the, the greatest scientists of the 20th century uh, in particular, he's considered to be one of the founders of the fields of quantum chemistry and molecular biology, and he's the only person to have been awarded two unshared Nobel Prizes, um, one in chemistry, um, and then the other one uh, is a Nobel Peace Prize for his, human- for his humanitarian work. The Linus Pauling Institute today really continues the vision of Dr. Pauling of both the science and scientific discovery in health, but also just making a a difference in people's lives. Uh, Dr. Pauling is also well known for his work in micronutrients uh, like vitamin C. So the Institute's mission is really to promote um, optimal health through cutting edge nutrition research, um, but also trusted uh, public outreach. One of our main focus is um, this concept of health span. So it's not just your lifespan living longer, but how do you live longer better? And that's one of our big passions. Well, it's ours too, which fits in perfectly. Um, And I also love love your mission, um, getting factual evidence-based information about their nutrition is so important because there's so much misinformation out there. Absolutely. So speaking of facts, can you tell us a little bit about your work uh, and what you and your colleagues are doing on cancer and nutrition? Sure. So what's really fascinating to me is uh, when I ask a person, if you smoke two to three packs of cigarettes a day, does that increase your risk for cancer? And no matter what your background, your culture, everyone knows that association. But if you uh, ask that same person, does eating a poor diet um, increase your cancer risk? That association is is nowhere near as strong, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's a problem because when you look at the data, um, especially in the U.S., there are more cancer cases in the U.S. that have a link to poor diet than does smoking or many other factors that people think about associated with cancer, like pollutants um, and other environmental stressors. Um, 
but again, that that concept of of what we eat uh, and having a big impact on on cancer isn't there. So we at the LPI are really interested in understanding how components of a healthy diet um, contribute to the cancer process and, and help fight against cancer, um, but importantly, really help understand you know, what are the, the mechanisms um, that are involved. Uh, many people around the world know my research and, and the LPI um, for our work with vegetables. Uh, we are affectionately known as the the uh, the broccoli people um, <laughs> in, in, in the world. We, we've done a lot of work in particular with cruciferous vegetables. Um, and in particular, a, a very uh, unique compound uh, that we find in cruciferous vegetables like, like broccoli um, that's called uh, sulforaphane. Uh, it's a compound that has uh, multi-levels, uh, not just with cancer, but with other uh, disorders as well. But it's uh, in particular seems to have a, a lot of benefit in terms of preventing um, and slowing down cancer processes. Well, speaking of that, we know that you've published quite a few papers on prostate cancer and sulforaphane. What role does sulforaphane play in, in prostate cancer? Yeah. So when you think about diet and cancer, um, not all cancers are going to be impacted as strongly by diet. There's a lot of compelling work with colorectal cancer and other uh, GI-based cancers, because these are sites of the body that really are exposed to foods. Um, but other cancers like prostate, um, like breast cancer, which are some of the leading cancers in the U.S., are also strongly impacted by diet. And, and prostate cancer in particular, uh, because it tends to be uh, a more slowly progressing cancer, uh, there's potentially a really uh, long window of time to make a difference with your diet and help uh, stop some of the contributing factors that leads an individual down the path towards uh, prostate cancer. Uh, so sulforaphane in particular is a, a compound that can act in several different ways during the development of prostate cancer. Um, it can act both early um, in terms of acting as a detoxifying agent that helps um, rid your body of toxins that can be cancer-causing, uh, but also can help uh, later in terms of cancer progression and help slow down and limit cancer cell growth through uh, very specific uh, mechanisms that we know go wrong during the cancer process. So we know we should eat broccoli, uh, but you've been an advocate for integrating more whole foods in general into the diet to prevent cancer. What does your research say that people should eat more of and why? That's a great question. Um, I know many people out there are looking for a single magic bullet. Mm -hmm. uh, and broccoli is going to be a component of that. Uh, we know cancer, in, like many diseases, is extremely complicated. Um, and there's likely not just one single thing uh, that you can do to, to, to stop it. Uh, and our foods that we eat, they, they contain a whole multitude of beneficial compounds. And they're there for a reason, because they work together in a certain way. Uh, and sometimes if you try to take a single compound um, in isolation, they might not work as well in terms of how they're, um, they get into your body. Um, and sometimes they need, need to work together uh, to target specific mechanisms in the cell. Uh, the research from my lab, from others in the Institute, and many others uh, really do show things like 
consuming a, a plant-based diet um, is beneficial to cancer uh, and many other chronic diseases for a variety of reasons. They have uh, micronutrients, vitamins and minerals that our bodies need, and some of these uh, natural compounds, phytochemicals that have uh, health benefits. Uh, and they all work together to, to combat disease. They target various mechanisms. Um, I also want to point out, though, um, eating a plant-based diet doesn't necessarily mean you have to be vegan or vegetarian. Absolutely. Uh, it means that the majority of your foods um, need to be plant-based. Um, that doesn't mean you have to limit uh, e everything. Uh, I certainly would advocate uh, in, in that plant-based diet for regular consumption of cruciferous vegetables uh, within your week. Uh, one thing that we certainly see in our research is that regular consumption is far more important than loading up just one or two times. Uh, mm -hmm. It's that consistency um, that's really essential, especially for these, these chronic disease. Great. I think that's such an important point, and I, I kind of want to drive that home a little bit farther. I, what I'm hearing you say is that taking, say, a sulforaphane supplement is not equivalent to having a regular consumption of cruciferous vegetables such as broccoli in your diet in terms of cancer prevention. Yes. Um, you know, sulforaphane, again, is just kind of one of the compounds. When you think about broccoli in particular, there are a lot of things in broccoli that make it great for cancer. Uh, it's a high fiber food. Uh, it is a low fat food. It has many other uh compounds in addition to sulforaphane that are present in it. There's vitamins um, like the B vitamins that we know are important for cancer uh, prevention as, as well, in addition to many other uh, phytochemicals uh, that are in broccoli as as, as well. We also know, even relative to sulforaphane, uh, we've done several studies, you know, comparing a supplement to the food and in terms of absorbing and distributing sulforaphane uh, into your body, the food does a lot better than the individual supplement. So there's, there's a lot of reasons to, to think about the food uh, versus just a, an individual supplement. Thank you for that. That That is, I think, really important for the average person, but I think also really important for providers to hear because I think sometimes patients come to you looking for that silver bullet, and if you had a supplement to give them, you'd probably make them happy, right? That's an easy solution, but it really is kind of missing the point. And while it's probably not going to hurt to add additional sulforaphane into your diet, it's not going to give you those same benefits. You really do have to change your diet. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there certainly is a place for supplements. I mean, uh, I always advocate a, a food first. Um, we mm -hmm. all know it, it's sometimes hard to eat healthy all the, all the time. So sometimes you know, taking, for example, a multi multivitamin, multimineral just gives you that little bit of insurance policy to make sure that you are um, getting your needs. Um, there are certainly sometimes, you know, uh, cases uh, within uh, your your development, so pregnancies in, in, uh, in uh, a critical time, uh, and sometimes through foods you aren't able to get that iron or that folate, uh, and you need to take a supplement. Uh, so there's certainly a place uh, and time for supplements, but again, I certainly advocate a food first uh, approach and to look at supplements when when there are maybe times where those th there are some gaps. I couldn't agree more.
another element of your work that I think our listeners will really find interesting is the the aspect of epigenetics. Um, but for those of our listeners who maybe don't know what epigenetics is, can we start by um, giving them a brief intro to what that is, what role does it play in cancer, and then what is the most exciting work you've done in that area? Sure. I'll try to keep this uh, relatively brief because I can talk about this for a long time. <laughs> but um, so epigenetics really literally means outside the DNA. Uh, we're changes outside the DNA, so uh, changes that are not related to the physical bases of, of the DNA uh, impact how the DNA or our genes are expressed. Um, so step backing back a little bit more. So if you think about our DNA, all the bases, so the A's, the G's, the C's, um, makes our DNA really, really long, and it can take up a lot of space. Uh, so to help ourselves uh, minimize the space that DNA takes up, uh, we compact it into very small space with the help of uh, a complex of proteins called histones that are part of our, our chromatin structure. So you kind of think about it like a a spool of thread that's, you know, put into a, a very small uh, area. However, when the DNA is tightly compacted like that, um, it's, it's really hard to read and get the information. So these epigenetic marks outside the DNA act as signals to help open and close these DNA structures so our cells can read the information. So if you think about our DNA as kind of like the library of our cells, um, the DNA structure is, is like the books, um, and the chromatin and these histones are kind of like the shelves that can open and close to, to give you access to the information. Um, when we think about cancer, uh, we know that cancer is a genetic disease. Uh, it runs in families. Uh, it has something to do with, with our DNA and our genes. Um, and the classic view of cancer is that it starts with a mutation which is a physical change in the DNA structure um, that causes an inability for the cell to make the proteins it needs, causes things to, to go haywire um, that leads to uncontrolled cell growth and eventually cancer progression. However, the field of epigenetics has really caused a huge paradigm shift in terms of how we think about cancer etiology. The fact is, is sometimes uh, in cancer, it's not the, a physical change in the DNA that's a problem. It's these epigenetic marks that have gone haywire that causes an inability to open and close those shelves properly. And the net effect is the same, that the protein isn't made properly, the gene isn't expressed properly, and that leads to dysfunction. What's really exciting is that unlike these D DNA mutations, if the cancer etiology is due to these epigenetic alterations, that these epigenetic alterations are reversible. Um, they're driven by enzymes. Uh, so you can take them off or put them on um, if, they are, uh, if they've gone haywire. And what's the most exciting thing to us is that components in our food like sulforaphane, um, are able to, to help with this reversal and, and target this dysregulated epigenetics that um, could have a huge impact in terms of cancer progression um, in prostate, uh, but also many other cancers like colorectal cancer, um, breast cancer. And uh, so the, the benefits of sulforaphane um, are, are certainly beyond just, just prostate. Uh, that's been the focus of my lab, uh, but has done... Uh, 
has a lot of potential for other cancers as well, especially those that have some epigenetic uh, origin. Well, wow, that was a really excellent explanation of a pretty complicated topic, uh, but I hope that people realize how important this is. Uh, we always talk about genetics as kind of being destiny, and the epigenetics aspect really changed that concept. The, your, your genes are not necessarily your destiny, uh, and what you can do to change your epigenetics, what we're hearing, or what I'm hearing, is, is diet. Nutrition is going to pay a, a large part in that. Absolutely. And there's a, a another uh, impact in terms of when people talk about epigenetics, they often talk about, you know, your, your, what your, your mother ate as well. And there's certainly, um, there's a researcher at the Institute that's done a lot of work in this area in terms of how um, a mom's diet uh, may affect the child's uh, risk for cancer as well. And there's a place for cruciferous vegetables uh, there as well in terms of helping. So not only um, what you eat, but uh, the cruciferous vegetables and broccoli that your mom ate um, may also have an impact on, on your cancer risk. I, I love that. I think that's that's absolutely earth-shattering, mind-blowing, exciting science. And I think we are going to learn a lot more about that and be able to really optimize uh, people's health. But really the take-home is eat whole foods as much as you can, um, and eat a lot of different kinds of plants. Am I hearing that right? Absolutely. I mean, we often hear the term, you know, eat the rainbow, uh, because, you know, our plants, they're just amazing organisms. Mm-hmm. And, uh, They've created uh, a whole host of of compounds that are, are meant to to work together, and uh, every plant you know has has their own special sauce, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you need a lot of sauces uh, to contribute to that that overall healthy diet. Absolutely. So one of the things we want to make sure we talk about is your upcoming workshop series this fall. Can you tell us about it? Maybe give us a little sneak peek? Yeah, absolutely. So the Linus Pauling Institute holds a biannual um, international conference. You know, every other year, it's called the Diet and Optimum Health Conference. Um, it focuses on aspects of um, optimal health and, and nutrition. Uh, in 2021, this year, we are actually celebrating our 25th anniversary of the Institute at Oregon State University. Uh, so we're doing things um, a little bit differently. Uh, instead of an in-person conference, we are holding a special uh, monthly webinar series in September, um, October, and November on the Thursdays early in the month. Um, a big passion of the Institute is, 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 again, to really ensure that the science is accessible to as many people as possible. So for this special anniversary, uh, we're going to do things online and registra- uh, registration will be absolutely free uh, to make sure that we can reach uh, as many people as we can. We've got a whole host of uh, interesting topics. Uh, In September, we are going to talk about nutrition and and healthy aging. And again, this concept of health span. How do we not just live longer, but how do we live better longer? Uh, Our webinar in October is going to focus on gut health and uh, nutrition and the microbiome, which is a really new and exciting area in terms of the interactions of the the microbes uh, in our body and how they impact uh, our overall health. 
And then our last webinar in November um, is going to be around diet and immune function, which especially over this last year has really become front and center in terms of what we can do to, to help our immune systems um, and fight infection. Um, all this information can be found on our website, though, uh, which is just lpi.oregonstate, all one word, .edu. Um, and happy to, to, to share uh, more information uh, about specific speakers um, in the future. Great. And we will put all of that in the show notes so it's easy for you to access. I just have to add in that I'm really excited about this. Um, obviously, these are topics that are near and near to my heart for those of us who are longtime listeners. You know, I'm always talking about the gut microbiome and the role of nutrition and immunity. So having a whole workshop series about it, I'm really excited. I hope you all put it on your calendars. Uh, we will be sure to give you updates on that if you are listening to the podcast or if you subscribe to our newsletter. Um, but for now, I think that's all we have for the for today in terms of time. Um, but I do look forward to our future chats and our collaborations with LPI on future podcasts. So thank you so much for joining us today, Emily. Thanks for having me. We'll talk more soon. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Lee Frame. Thanks for listening. <laughs>